So Gene sees me in these leggings and this sports bra, and he's like, oh, I want you to wear that. I want you to wear that to, to drop me off at school and pick me up. I was like, you want me to just wear my sports brassiere and these bottoms? He's like, yeah. I said, why? And he's like, I want you to be naked. And I believe he is proud of his mother's body. <laughs> I think he thought I looked like a cool young person. I'm not sure how, that into- is how his five-year-old brain has seen Well, the world. that's what I'm telling myself. Hello? Welcome to Beetlejuice. Hello? With Jeff Lloyd. What? Because everything's better with the Beatles. Yeah, it's just something a bit more, because it does sound a bit dead when you hear it, just doesn't intro. How about this, then? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. This is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Yeah, we'll have him, we'll have him. There's only the one. It was worth it for that. Do you want me to ask you my first question, then? I do. Have any Beatles and any U.S. presidents been close friends? And when I say close friends, of course, I mean by celebrity standards, by which I mean I don't think any of these people are. I believe Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston are legitimately close friends. And everybody else. That's I believe every- Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are legitimately close friends. Well, they were friends before they were famous, weren't okay. they? Yeah. But still, that's a that's a, a legit celebrity friendship. Um, a big talking point with me is the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Oh, Meghan yeah, Markle. how suddenly... I'm just, I'm just saying that. If you think about a lifetime and the friends you acquire over a lifetime and then where they would be in the church... The people who got front billing were people that she only had relationships with, not since becoming an actress, because... Oprah and Clooney don't care if you're on skins. Oprah and it was Clooney. Suits, not skins. What? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Would I be confusing that if she had had a star turn on succession? No. Um, you become friends with Oprah and with Clooney because you're with a prince. And you seem like a woman of substance who's with a prince. But it was it, so. The point is, is that people she knew barely at all got a front seat at her wedding because they were yes. famous, and I don't trust. But, it, but it's not just that. So I think b- b- getting to know famous people goes with the territory of being a member of the royal family. Oh, but it, by but all it, means. But, but was, why do they have front was, seat that, at your that wedding? That's the, it, that should be for a legit friend that you have. Mm. But we are aware of and supportive of any struggles people might have regarding institutional racism. I'm not talking about or that. mental health. We're just talking about celebrities at the front seat of a wedding. All I'm saying is, the only point I'm making is that the the way that the guests were seated at the wedding, to me, was questionable. That's my only comment. Here's something people often say. But famous people are just people. They're just like the rest of us. Well, no, they're not just like like the rest of us. This is the thing that I... This is the point. They are people. It's two separate things. Yes, they are people. And if you cut them, they will also bleed. Yes. But they're also not just like the rest of us. The way they live their lives and move through the world and, and just what they're used to from friendships, from interactions with people, from the world bending to their will is outside of the experience of any regular person because that's not a luxury that most of us have. Right. So the way they perceive things is is just differently, including friendships. Yes, I think that's very well said. Yeah. So what do you think? Any like legit friendships between presidents and Beatles? No is the short answer. I'm just thinking, uh, I'm just going through in my brain. There are photos of George Harrison and Ford Oh. In the White House, and he looks pleased as punch to be there. I have a feeling he might have taken 
drugs. His, no, I was going to say taking oh. his dad with him, but I could, I could be wrong about that. Of course, I was in the White House the day before I met you. Yes. Doing what? One of my brother's best friends worked for the Obama administration, and he was able to get me like a tour of the West Wing and the Oval Office. And so that was where I was on a Sunday. And then I took a bus back on Sunday night to New York City and then knocked around in New York City, as I would normally do on a Monday, and then went to host a show. And that night I met my future husband. How was it? Smaller than you'd expect. The house itself is mind-blowing how small it is in person when you're like ready for some grandeur. Is it like a little semi? I also got to go in the bowling alley. That was kind of cool. There's like a bowling alley in the basement of the White House, and I got to see that. How come are those tours of the White House? So here you couldn't tour Downing Street, for example. But when I've watched The West Wing, you do see little parties being shown around. Yeah, well, I think it was like just me. It was. Do you know what? It was underwhelming. And I think the problem was that I felt that I was putting out my brother's friend. Or maybe you'll get to go back. Okay. What do you remember finding funny as a child? I ask this because you were talking about like different bits of comedy that all the Beatles were into when they were little. Two things immediately sprung to mind. The first one was just the Muppet show generally. You're going to do that thing that people always do. What? People love talking about, anyone who's ever gotten to quote unquote meet a Muppet loves talking about being star. So like you're only going to meet the Muppet if you have some kind of like show busy job or something like that. And people love being like, I've met so many famous people and I've never been as starstruck as I was when I saw Kermit. So I ask you to not do that. I wasn't going to do that. Okay. Have I ever done that? I think so. Because I'll be honest, I did get to meet Kermit the Frog, but it was in the depths of my alcoholism and I don't really remember it. And it should be this really special memory and it isn't. Well, but look, you were sober by 27, so it wasn't like a life wasted. You learn your lessons. Okay, so you liked the Muppets. Uh, yeah, I just th- thought it was brilliant. It's always upsetting to me that the Beatles were never on the Muppets. Oh, yes. Given that would have been the, the timing of it, I mean, you could have had all four of them on there, and they all did the Simpsons and whatever that thing was that the Simpsons had in the 90s, the Muppets had in the late 70s. They're, they're different, but it had that kind of... It was funny for grown-ups and for adults, and it wasn't cheesy. It was just good mm. and a bit anarchic. It's amazing to me that none of them were ever what on What a shame. There. there were Beatles songs, like Muppets did Beatles songs, and I wonder if there was an almost with George Harrison. I've got that in the back of my head somewhere. Anyway, that that never happened. And then the other thing that I think of was uh, it was just one line. And were we saying on this podcast, or were we saying in real life, that you just, I can't remember the last time I, I, I laughed uncontrollably. Oh, it was on this podcast. Yeah. She, she was saying sobriety is probably a part of it. She, you know, you're not loose. Anyway, there was this thing on TV when I was a kid, a puppet called Emu, who was quite wild and it would just go for people. So if the, if the puppeteer and the, it was an ostrich, if they went on a talk show, this guy's <laughs> kind of a bit out of control. The actual puppeteer. Yeah, and, and then, okay. the, then the puppet seemed quite wild as a kid. Yeah. So that re-really but, tickled but, you? But, but then on that show, I remember hearing the phrase, Dirty Gertie from number 30. Oh. And it made me laugh so much. I don't think I've, I've laughed at anything as much in my life. Mm. It would One of those where every time it came into my head for oh, weeks afterwards, so it would still make me laugh. It was weird. The, the guy who was called Rod Hull... He was a funny-looking fella. The puppeteer The puppeteer, again. Rod Hull and Emu. And he died probably 20 years ago at this point by climbing onto his own roof to fix his TV aerial 
during, I don't know if it's a thunderstorm, I might, might be uh, getting the detail, details a bit mangled here, and he fell off his roof. Oh, my God. And then after he died, there were these tabloid stories about how the puppet was found in the loft, all moth-eaten, uh, with holes in it, and that he'd come to resent it because he couldn't be famous without the puppet and it, it led to him having this bitterness towards the puppet, which in some ways, yeah, there's an, an analogy there about George Harrison's relationship with the Beatles. Bringing it back. I was just going to say I heard a very good interview with Hank Azaria talking, who was voiced so many characters on The Simpsons, talking about sort of like how for decades he lived with this rage because he made all this money and was on this one of the most famous shows, but it wasn't about him. It was about the writers on that show. And I found that interesting. You'd think he just must be living the best life, right? Doing good work. He can move around Los Angeles without being stopped, but really... It's like a little cancer that lives inside him. Let me tell you something that I have learned through decades of interviewing successful people. Very often, the thing that externally you think is their USP and should bring them the most joy in their life is the thing that eats away at them. Interesting. What do you remember laughing at as a kid? Well, actually, when you were telling that story... I thought my parents, my parents took my brother and I to the Art Institute of Chicago a lot as children, which I only ever hated. But there was a a huge, like almost a mural sized painting on a wall, I think by an artist named Ed Paschke. And the title of the painting was Turds from Hell. And I could not. And it's in an art gallery. And my eye was... (laughs) beside myself and my parents and then my brother started laughing because I was laughing so hard and my parents had to usher us out but I would now looking back on it I would there's nothing I would love more than to like be at the Tate and see some like nine-year-old and five-year-old kids unable to control themselves because it says turds from hell on a serious art gallery wall that would be like the great sighting of my life how much do you worry that because you and I have very lavatorial and scatological senses of humor our son does too we then don't disapprove of it. Does that ever make you worry he's going to grow up to be obsessed with bodily function and and have fecal matter incorporated into his lovemaking as an adult? No, someone winds up that way because like their mother isn't around when they're a kid. Okay. I mean, okay. I'm no professional, but <laughs> um, how did Peter Blake get the job of designing the Sergeant Pepper cover? He he was an artist who had a bit of heat around him at the time. I. Th- think there was a guy called Robert Fraser who was a friend of Paul's especially because Paul was on that into that 60s art scene who helped with the overall concept for Sergeant Pepper I think I think I think that was it Paul was at that point really immersing Dialed himself in, in the yeah yeah he, um an interesting thing that I found last week was there's some kind of like Beatles tribute compilation, artists performing Beatles songs that was released in Sweden in the mid 60s. And the Beatles went there and played and somebody thrust a copy of this thing into Paul's hand. Now, the Beatles were always being given things wherever they went. And and most of these things, I'm sure, ended up in a skip and they never even saw them or looked mm. at them. But there's there's some reason where it's known Paul looked at and listened to this album. 
And the cover of it is somewhat similar to Sergeant Pepper, not in terms of all the cutouts and the the icons, but that it's a a brass band at the centre of it. Mm. And it's got that look. And I wouldn't be surprised if that triggered that basic idea in Paul's head, who'd thought about Sergeant Pepper uh, as as these alter egos and his band as these alter egos for the Beatles. And that could have been his starting point. Because um, that's of, often the case. Abbey Road is thought of as one of the great album covers of all time. And the photographer, Ian McMillan, who took a fantastic picture, gets a lot of credit for that. But if you look at Paul's pencil drawing of what it should look like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. It's, oh, it's, it comes from him. So I think Peter Blake did an amazing job on Sgt. Pepper and it, and it is rightly probably the most famous album cover of all time. I like it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Quickly, you're talking about Chris Evans's mm. Aston Martin and the price jump between 2012 and 2017. How did it go up by a million pounds in five years? It's insane, isn't it? Is there like a thing that happened or is it just, is it just sort of a cul-de-sac I, th- I think generally from the conversations we've had about auctions on this podcast and on the show it seems like beatles memorabilia has gone a bit out of control when everybody was 2012 and 2017 i'm guessing at that end of the market whereas most people would have got poorer or stayed the same after the financial crash Uh very very rich people just keep Mm. getting richer and a rich person these days has got so much money you couldn't possibly spend it so they spend it on these fripperies, mm-hmm. uh, which then increases the the prices of them, I would guess. I don't think it's the personalised number plate that Chris added to Paul McCartney's car, oh, which said God. 64 Mac, as in McCartney 64. People. <laughs> Your grandma had a personalised number plate. Oh, yeah. So it was her initials, NH, and the street number of her house, which was 1555. What do you think goes on with vanity plates? I don't know. But if you're like driving, if you're a very rich, very famous man and you're driving around in an Aston Martin and then you think, but you know what? Just if there's if I'm running any risks that I could fly under the radar here, let me throw a license plate on it that says something absurd. I just think it's how can I get more attention? It's yeah, not it's why he that. did it, but it's strange. Do you think that when you think of the Beatles and their psychedelic cars in the 60s, so John Lennon's psychedelic Rolls Royce or the minis? No, I don't for some reason. I think of it, it's like, if you remember when we, we, we were in the Hamptons one time and a really like fun old car drove quickly past us on a really big road and you were like, oh, I wonder if that was Jerry Seinfeld. And that just feels like an unbelievably wealthy and successful person being having an interest in these things and what can you do except drive them around um <clears throat> between john paul and george who was the most trustworthy drummer paul oh. paul was the only other one who was was really a drummer i'm, I'm i know george could you know hold hold a beat i don't know about john's drumming abilities actually but i'm sure any of them just because if you're around instruments you kind of can in the same way as ringo could sit behind a piano and and get a tune out of it if you're just around instruments all the time and you're musical you can probably get the basics out of them but paul drums on quite a few beatles records and lots huh. of his own records but there's um i'm i'm not musical enough to be able to describe it there's a t- there's a to me i can feel a tightness in paul's drumming that isn't there in ringo's i don't mean like tight That's very as in fancy of you know i, he- I, mean, I know up, what you mean uptight, uptight. yeah yeah, whereas, yeah. There's more feel in what Ringo drums. Oh, my God. It's like the two swans in the film The Black Swan, directed by the guy who did that other terrible, scary movie. What happens? 
Have you never seen Black Swan? It's never appealed to me. It's one of these one of these male gaze things that the feminists are always talking about. Um, I just want to say about food allergies. I think there is something in the idea that the human body can process goat and sheep's milk better than cow's milk. I think there's something about about that that's real. So when you think about cows, they're all in some kind of factory farm rig, rigged up to a machine, whereas oh. you're thinking of a goat high on a hill with a lonely goat herd. Yeah, just people don't want goat's milk and goat flesh or sheep's milk and sheep flesh the way that they want cow milk and cow flesh. And therefore, are you less likely to be consuming certain hormones Right. that then sits better with you? That that, that makes makes sense. sense. I know. Okay. Oh, my God. Breaking news. Breaking news. Ringo, George, and Paul. Were any of them sort of body and figure obsessed in the same way that John was? It it doesn't seem like it, but it is odd that if you think about what age does to a body, now I know John only lived till 40, but 40 is not 25. It is weird that all of the Beatles remained or have remained slender, mm-hmm. which suggests to me that that must be something they all prioritise to a greater yeah. or lesser degree. I think Ringo's health stuff probably means he was always going to be thin because he can eat so little and I think his his diet has got very, very strange. And, um, <laughs> you said he eats only broccoli. You said yeah, that on yeah. Radio show. Uh, so Ringo basically eats broccoli, mounds of broccoli for every meal, apart from perhaps breakfast where he has blueberries. Is he uh, seasoning it? Uh-uh. On a Sunday, I think he lets himself go, but by lets himself go, he might have like a scoop of ice cream or something, something he just, like that. He, he can't just eat broccoli. I mean, maybe maybe there's a, a bit of other stuff, but it's it, it, seriously, it's broccoli all the time. Is he putting from, olive oil on it from multiple witnesses? Is he? This is people who tour with him raw? and say, "Oh, he just eats piles of broccoli," Ooh. but it looks great on it. Yeah, this is what's fucked up: is that you can look great, you know. And then Paul, I, I just don't think food. I th- They're was, not interested was, in food. I think John was interested in food, this is, this and is it the consumed. Thing his thoughts in a, a certain way. And I don't, th- I don't think George was really interested in food at all. And I think Paul likes it, but it's not like I am where I'm thinking about at breakfast time, I'm thinking about the other things that I might, while I'm eating one meal, I'm thinking about the other things I might eat in a day. Yeah. I don't, or, or if I know that a restaurant is opening or I'll be thinking about it. I don't think they had much of that to them, any of them really. Have you ever seen the film Spice World? Yeah, I went to see it on Christmas Day, the year it was released. What year did it come out? I'm going to guess at 97. No. Maybe 98. Is that how old it is? I, I want to go if Christmas 97. If you 90, had told Christmas me it came out two years ago, I would have believed you. You know the Spice Girls? Yeah, but I thought they got the gang together. Like, didn't they get the gang together to perform at the Olympics? They did, but this was, at the, this was Spice Mania. I didn't know it was at the height of Spice Mania. So what are some of the... I don't think corollary is the right word, but you know what I mean when I say it. Between Hard Day's Night and Spice World. What Hard Day's Night did was gave the Beatles one-note personalities, if you like. So Mm -hmm. whatever you think of as the Beatles as being, Mm -hmm. John's the caustic, smart one, Paul's the cute one, George is the quiet, sardonic one, Ringo's the the clown, or whatever those things are, they, they... that template was largely set by a hard day's mm. night. And I think Spice World 
was an heir to a hard day's night in in that way that they're kind of playing sort of themselves. like sex in the city right and they're yeah it's, it's a hard day's night gave us sex in the city um that's interesting actually the the other ways in which that template that the beatles set of this one's like this and this one's like that i wonder i'd not thought about it in other um in other media Samantha loves sex charlotte likes fine china miranda is smart carries all around it yeah. and and spice world is is that and it's them playing versions of themselves and they're having a caper it's just different to what music films were typically like before that it's thought of as a good film in its own right as well spice world no no Hard not spice night. world no yeah, i'd like to see spice although, world i'd watch spice world i'd watch it again i've, I've read articles by um, millennials, not geriatric ones like you, but yeah. actual millennials or younger Gen Zers who who have appraised it to be a good film. I remember seeing it at the time because I thought it would be funny to go and see the Spice Girls film, but thinking it was kind of terrible. But I'd, I'd, I'd like we to should put that one. on our list of rewatches. What was your relationship with the Spice Girls like? I liked. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, and that was it. And then in 1997, I was recommended like some woman so i was 18 and some woman who i went to college with babysat for a family and the husband was turning 40 oh and he loved the spice girls and so his wife was trying to get like four high school or college girls together or five to dress this up like the spice girls take a dark turn, no i mean it already has <laughs> but <laughs> It's not going to turn even darker than it already has done. So she thought it would be like a funny joke in this hotel lobby in New Jersey where the birthday party was to suddenly like have, I'll tell you what I want, you know, come blasting through the speakers and have these five girls dressed up like the Spice Girls sort of do this number. So they were looking for a redhead who can dance, which, hello. (laughs) So it was like me and these girls who were a little bit older and I wasn't friends with any of them. And they all were like... To my parents' credit, I was not comfortable at the age of 18 dancing sexy for a 40-year-old man's birthday party. And the other four girls, I think, quite were. And uh, we then, like, drove in a car deep into Jersey and, like, hopped out in the winter and danced for this guy at his 40th birthday party. And I felt really like an outcast and felt so alone and depressed. I feel uncomfortable, even if people are singing happy birthday to me. Do you remember anything about the moment after the dance ended? No, but can I move on to another? But but I remember working as a cater waiter at another guy's 40th birthday. This is like a few years later. And the wife fucking hired some girls to dance on a table. What is going on with people hiring like girls to do shit for 40-year-old men at their birthday parties? It's so weird. It's terrible. Um, you played Roll Up, Roll Up to the Mystery Tour. That you took me when you were when we were still sort of courting. You took me to see Paul McCartney at the Royal Albert Hall, and that's what they opened with. And that was one of the great nights of my life, darling. It's a great opening song, isn't it? I just said a nice thing to you about. I just said a nice thing, and you completely bowled over it. I said that was one of the great nights of oh, my that's life. So lovely. And I just thought. Open, being in the Royal Albert Hall, you've got this new boyfriend who takes you to see Paul McCartney and he comes out on stage and you're like, like we didn't have unbelievable seats, but our seats were pretty good. And suddenly Paul McCartney is in front of you with this band in the Royal Albert Hall, only downhill from there. And that included 
z seeing my son's face for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's also you've told me before that it's one of the few Beatles songs you can exercise to. Yes, I I'm going to exercise to it today. Are you? I just it was just one of my happiest moments in my life. What that was that night. It was so incredible. It was a good. I'd night. like to go to another like concert there at some point, upbeat mm. style. <laughs> so we went to see Tori Amos there, and that was really cool. But it's not the same thing as when everyone's like ah, and I'd like to go through that again. Why do I hate Scylla Black? I really feel negatively toward her, but I don't remember why. She's a nasty piece of work, isn't she? Or she was, R.I.P. Right? I think she could be a bit of a diva. Is, is no, no, part. no. Let's be real. Let's be real. Mm. Is that why... Have you, off the record, mm-hmm. told me some details about her that make her seem absolutely horrible as a human? And is that why I dislike her? Step inside love. It's a good song. And she she had a decent voice. I think. Oh, yeah. She, that's why I'm like, why do I hate her so much? I think there was a little bit of a disconnect between mm-hmm. the public persona of our Scylla, just an ordinary girl who's oh, made I'm just good. A girl. To How was that? Was that good? Not I'm good. just an ordinary girl. No, pretty, pretty awful. I think like there was this perception of Scylla being salt of the earth, down to earth, you know, just like one of us, but on the telly. And I think perhaps that the life she became accustomed to and the way you were treated in that life uh, and and then the way you... We get it. We get it. Okay, 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 okay. The Hard Day's Night Hotel. In Liverpool. In Liverpool. Which suite costs more, John or Paul's? I haven't done extensive research, but I did... I mean, because you know who has? Who? Paul. <laughs> don't you, Do you think, think he pro- so? yeah i think if he knows that something like that exists there he knows whether the costs are different and he he would know that like his room has availability and paul's and john's doesn't i think john's possibly costs more and the little bit of knocking around that i did i think it it, it comes up as being 1500 pounds a night and what did i say the paul suite was like a couple of hundred or something so you're not gonna like this comment but mm. what is the who are the people who are that obsessed with the beatles and who have that much money well where do you want to start i don't know so famous like famous people well, famous musicians is that who it is well if you think that famous musicians have that much money and they like the beatles so do rich businessmen who like See, the this beatles, is this is what i'm trying to get at this is what i'm trying to get at treat once which year. is perhaps wrong i don't picture a hedge fund manager being obsessed with the beatles in the way that i think a, a, a librarian might be because there's a type of creative soul or something or that- and, and and I mean this sort of more as a compliment than a criticism, but like a, an oddity. I don't think of, I don't think of like money guys as being quirky in the way that I think you are if you are obsessed with the Beatles. I think this might be some kernel of truth to that, but then that's the odd thing about the Beatles, isn't it? That They, they unify all these. But, but not only that, that... You're, you're talking about them in terms of their appeal as if they are a cult artist and not the biggest selling artist of all time. 
and yes, and remain no, I... so you think oh yeah it's a certain type of person who's a bit quirky or creative or interesting who likes the beatles and then if you look at how many beatles records not only sold but but i no no no, sell, no 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 but th- i'm not talking about a beatles fan i'm sure a hedge fund guy whatever i mean when i say hedge fund guy i'm sure that there are plenty of beatles fans but i'm talking psychotic obsessive fans and those people like yourself are n- not the kind of people that's not reflected in album sales. All I'm saying is, since you've been doing this podcast, and often in my life, I'll think like, like I talked to my my old, my childhood friend Debbie the other day, and I remembered, oh, Debbie's sister is this Beatles fanatic. And then it was the 13th of May, and one of my school friends, Caroline, her birthday's me. I was like, oh, Caroline's sister, Elizabeth, was obsessed. And these two sisters, Elizabeth and Leslie, they are both really, they're like crazy academic brainiac women, but they're not hedge funders. They like do weird shit because they're crazy smart and they're like weird academics. And those are Beatles obsessives. And and every anyone who occurs to me where I go, oh, that person is, they don't know about this show, but they would like to listen to it because they're so crazy into the Beatles. They're never real severe alphas. Because I think obsessive fans of stuff like this tend not to be. It's a it's a it's a generalization, but I think there's something in it. Nobody enjoys stereotyping hedge funders as as much as I do. But you think? But I think like who is buying all this stuff for hundreds of thousands of pounds at auctions? Well, that remember that's what I wanted to know, like about the person who bought that camera. Yeah, I think some people just buy things because it's valuable, and they might not have that connection to it maybe you're right maybe the prevalence of these obsessive Beatles fans isn't amongst that type of very wealthy trader but there are plenty of people who work in kind of creative fields like advertising sure that makes more sense I just thought of a job that I would like that I think doesn't exist but I'd like to have it what is it it's like I work in an auction house but when pieces of like pop culture memorabilia are purchased I get to sit and interview the person for two hours and decide whether, like, whether or not they're like a worthy custodian of that piece of cultural history. Yes, and I have the ability to go. I'm sorry, you shouldn't own this. I'll tell you something. I wonder about. Go on. How much of this stuff that's bought anonymously at auction is, say, Paul McCartney or Julian Lennon? <gasps> oh, or Apple. Yes, that's a wonder. That's less interesting. Apple, but. Well, Julian, kind of, yeah. Julian, and um, Paul is very interesting. Would you, if, for your birthday, would you like want to go to one of those suites at that Liverpool hotel, or is that not really your vibe? It's not really. I can never tell with you. I mean, that's not true. I can sometimes tell. I, I really like that Hard Days Night Hotel exists, but I'm, you don't need to visit I, I, it. I've been, I've been there. I've done an interview there. You don't need Frida to stay Kelly. overnight there. I'm a real snob with hotels. Yeah, you I, are. I have very particular. I love hotels. It's one of my great. Uh, one of your great joys. Yes, but I, I, I don't know if it would be my cup of tea. Here's the thing. I, I really like going to Liverpool, and I think about. Oh, I want to go to Liverpool. I want to go to Lennon McCartney's childhood homes with Sarah. And then I've been questioning what that is about because I've been to those homes. It's like you want to share with me and that's sweet but i just know i can't share with you because it's just an unsatisfying experience and i've accepted that and you haven't i think i lied to myself about how much you like i think i've been lying to myself about how much you get out of or enjoy these conversations yeah i'm sorry that makes you sad but i think it's just like i think it's very hard for you 
to understand that people are different from you sometimes. Like I can find sometimes like they're like, I will just constantly be trying to be like, but Jeff, I am different to you. No, I know. I know. I know. I think I just thought. Like you thought, how can someone spend this much time learning about how amazing they are and then not? Have the click. Yes, but I've had you now for three months, like talking to me about the story. Yeah. I don't. And there are parts of that have been interesting, but then, but I'm not. A crazy big fan so now i i'm done i don't know i do i i don't feel like justifying some way that i've let you down by no, not that, being the same as I'm, you that's not what i'm saying well it is a little no, it's bit not. i'm just saying. no it's not, it's well, not you you are you are talking about being let down i promise you i don't feel let down but you do jeff you're sat here explaining a feeling of disappointment while simultaneously going but i'm not disappointed it, no. it's it's why you get so frustrated sometimes it's like you can't change people's minds all the time about stuff you don't have that power i'm extremely sanguine about that generally no i think you like you it it's like how you are if you if someone doesn't take your advice about stuff which i understand i think that stuff is kind of annoying but like if someone says oh hey could we get do you know a place we could eat in new york you are you are then someone who will literally put spend two hours someone just saying oh hey if you've got a restaurant rack for us you will then spend two hours of your time building this thing up and someone's on the receiving end of that it's like oh i and they just get overwhelmed and they don't want it and you get really, really hurt. And it's like, it's understandable. It's understandable to put effort into something, but you put effort into something that... But I don't go around forcing that. If somebody asks me for a, a recommendation, no, that's, but if that's someone a asks thing. You I'm for... not going around saying to people, oh, you're going to New York, I'm going to send you a list of places no, you should eat. No, but someone can ask in a way that's casual and your response can be the exact opposite of casual. Here's, here's what I thought. To, to bring it back to the idea of a trip to Liverpool, that if anyone was able to contextualise the story and understand them and where they came from and, and where, they, uh, where, where they got to, what, what they achieved, I think I thought that anyone would then stand in John Lennon's childhood bedroom and have some kind of sense of wonder or yes or i could but that's not if you'd said could i stand in his childhood bedroom and have a sense of wonder yes of course that would be interesting but like it's it's the you know it's this pressure to love stuff and be similar to you that i find very difficult but i don't mean to apply that i don't pressure. i don't i know you don't mean to apply the pressure I'm just thinking about personality types and about how, because you're not really an, an enthusiast mm -hmm. of anything, mm -hmm. that impulse to, to share that thing is is alien to you. No, I, I, I think that that's right, but I don't think not being an enthusiast, like I have books that I read and I learned early on that me asking you to read the book was an exercise in disappointment because you just wouldn't do it. So read what you want to read, not what not me going, isn't it amazing? Isn't it good? Have you got another part? Where... So just let it go. And I I don't think that you accept my limitations in a similar way. 
Okay, all right, we got to move. Galeazzo. Loved him. Loved him. How much money do you think he makes? Is he, is he making a low, like a shit ton of money because of he's got a lot of YouTube views? I can't imagine it's like being a teenage YouTuber. I want him to contact us directly and let me know how much money you make. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, but I also just, I love talking about money openly. I think society would be better if people spoke about money openly. And if Galeazzo would like to be in touch with me directly and be like, let me break down my, my annual income for you. I'm very interested. Galeazzo, sono Sara. And if you want to message me, DM me privately on the Twitter and tell me what you earn from your YouTube views. I'm interested. Do you want to ask uh, or, or tell um, Galeazzo anything about your experience as someone working in, a, in an Italian restaurant? Do you want to talk about your love of Italian wines or cheeses? I do. I'm off diary at the moment. I don't know if I've mentioned that. <laughs> I know a little bit about Italian wine. I can mention quite a few Italian grape varietals like Corvina, Rondinella, Molinara. And um, the only other thing I think I, I have to say about any of it is that we were told when the restaurant opened that upon delivering food to the table, we were supposed to say, buon appetito. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it was like my <laughs> bottom line was I was not going to say, buon appetito upon dropping food at a table. Um, don't you think that thinking that Ringo is the best dressed feels very Italian? Why'd you say that? I don't know, but I love Italy. Mm. Oh my God. I just love it. I love the food. I love the culture. It's got it all. And there's a certain kind of chicness to an Italian that is just right up my street. There's also a look that I would describe as not the chic side of the Italian culture. I'll leave it there. And you're thinking that that whatever that is. I feel is, like if you said to me, who's the most fashionable beetle, I'd be like anyone other than Ringo. Really? Are we talking about Ringo now? I th Well, no, I mean, generally, because I think they were just all well-dressed and all dressed in the great clothes of the year. I don't think you could... Imagine Ringo's clothes as, as opposed to George's clothes or no, listen, Paul's clothes. Just, I think that they were all well they dressed. Just all looked great. So you're you're just assuming because of Ringo's I'm, clownish persona yes, that there must be something different the about his clothes. The problem is in me. He was well dressed. Well, they look, all were. It's always a pleasure to be proven wrong, and that's why I'm so magnificent. <laughs> My lack of defensiveness. That's yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, shall we enjoy a much longer chat with Galeazzo? How do you pronounce his last name again? Uh, Frudua. Frudua. He, he, uh, Galeazzo like... Frudua. Yeah, that, that's how he Galeazzo said it. Frudua. Yeah. You have to roll your R's. You say, I love Italian. Oh, Italiano, mambo. And even if you wouldn't go to the Beatles' childhood homes with me, would you sit and watch some of Galeazzo's videos and we mm -hmm. can do some harmonies? Here's the thing. I'm not that interested in either of those things. I, would, I will give me a month. When does this end? We'll be done uh, two, doing this. Two more episodes after so, this. So like w in touch base with me on the 1st of July and we can revisit some of these okay. things. Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Limitless, undying love for the band who did it all. Hi, Jeff. It's so good to talk to you. Let me tell you something. My wife at one stage, I think was getting quite worried about me because of how much I was watching your videos. I'm not a singer outside of a little bit of karaoke. And yet I love watching you explain how the harmonies of these songs fit together and, and what each of the Beatles is doing on them. I can't be alone. In fact, I see the view counts 
on your videos. I know I'm not alone. How, how many people watch your videos? To this day, uh, uh, from 7,000 to 11,000 every day. And do you know, since you started the channel, how many views that is? 12 millions, maybe more. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, and what is your story in terms of the Beatles? When, when were you first aware of their music? We, in Italy, we spent a lot at the, our grandparents' uh, uh, house, you know, so you, are, you get older at, at home and then uh, when it's time to go out and find your, home, your, your own home, you say, mm, maybe I'm in the 40s so I can stay a little bit longer and then I wait. <laughs> so uh, we stay a lot with the, with the grandparents. And so um, I have uh, remembers, I remind hearing um, they playing a road, for example. But it was on vacation and I was talking to some people and a guy came into this place and started singing. So I, the people around was captured by the songs that he was singing. His voice was a good one. When he stopped singing, I I, uh, I got near to him and, and, and asked him, what, what song is this? He said, Michelle, hey, Jude. I, I didn't remember. I didn't remember having heard them before. You know, and I didn't know who belonged the songs to. And then I went home and you know, started trying to understand what, which, where it, who was the song from, you know. And, uh, and then uh, a series of you know, things happened until I found, um, till I found uh, the White Album. And when I discovered the White Album, it was just a, a cascade, you know. It was um, one after the other. What I'm interested in with you is you are a musician. Uh, you, you're also a, a musical craftsman. You teach. Is that in any part because of your love of the Beatles or did the musicianship come first and then the Beatles? No, everything I did in my life was because of the Beatles, um, Jeff. Wow. And it was uh, an incredible trip, you know, an incredible trip to discover them and then go into in, always into more and of a deeper knowledge and uh, enjoyment. So how did that happen so, then? You hear these songs and that inspires you to pick up a guitar. Pardon? So it happened that you heard the Beatles music and that inspired you to pick up a guitar. I tried to understand who were the songs from and uh, how could I, could I learn them. It was a step-by-step thing that you know, I drenched into this completely. Uh, still I am. So I became a luthier because I had a poster of John with um, the Rickenbacker. I absolutely wanted to have one. And so I, it was 1980, and I tried to make one. And this is how I started as a guitar maker. Because you saw his Rickenbacker and you tried to recreate it. I tried to recreate it, yes. It was ugly <laughs> and unplayable. <laughs> but it was a beginning you know, of a passion, you know. Did you actually go on to learn the theory of music? No, 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 no. I never learned to um, write or read the music. I can't. Wow, this is amazing to me because we'll come on to your channel now. Be- the, the, the way that you're able to break down what they're doing with their voices in the channel, it, it, I just assumed, oh, Galeazzo must be some extremely highly qualified musical theorist to be able to unpick this stuff but you're you're just doing it by ear really yes wow yes um, uh, lately i um, I, I was called from um, a guy from um, the um, conservatory of uh, venice and he said oh you have to have a, a very good software 
and there's a no <laughs> no software man that's all by ear i don't know how i i do it but i do it how did you get the idea to start the channel then did it start life as the beatles vocal harmony yeah 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 because i was in, i was in a studio uh, recording and I, the, the, the owner of the studio knew that i had a, um, a beatles tribute band what was your beatles tribute band called vergas what does that mean well in in spanish is a very bad word okay uh, he wanted me to teach him the harmonies of nowhere man so uh, we were a bit late and uh, i had um, a camcorder He's holding the camcorder now. And I thought, if I switch it on, it will be very easy. I, I do all the vocals and send just one file to him in a while. And then when I watched that, I, I thought, well, it's not that bad, you know. And, uh, and I made a, a, a YouTube video out of it, in fact. And this is how I started. Had you made any YouTube videos before at that point? No, 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 absolutely. It was, I was very shy about this. How long was it before people started finding this video? I think it made something like in one month, 200,000 views. I don't remember, but it was very fast. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about them as harmony singers. Something I've heard said is that they almost have this thing called sibling harmony, where kids who've grown up singing together, they almost have a sixth sense for it. Yes, absolutely. That's a kind of a mystery, a mystery to me. Um, when you listen to them harmonizing in such a, as you said, sibling, you know, um, paths, I, I really can't explain how would it be possible. Consider that sometimes I, um, I record myself to understand if I got the harmony correct, you know. And uh, so I, uh, because I, as I as I hear them as lowered to better detect them, I just lower myself as well to compare, you know, what I what I sang to what I heard and, and try to understand if I if they match, if they both match. And and there I realized that I'm doing nothing similar to them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because the more you slow them, the, the, the more of the details come out. The more you slow down me, the more of a mess come out. So I have to, you know, uh, make a deeper, uh, you know, um, sections of, uh, of, uh, of all the notes and, and get into the same details. It's very incredible. It's, inc it's incredible for me that I'm a customer to do that and I have to copy them. Think, think to the fact that they invent, where they're inventing, they're creating from nothing, you know. I can't, I can't explain that, but there are for sure some perfect matches of the parts of the song, glissados, oblique almonds that are, to me, are unexplainable, unexplainable. And also what's amazing to me as well is their phrasing. That's almost like telepathy. In fact, if you hear some of the, luckily um, for the Beatles, we have, um, as they had Abbey Road as a rehearsal room, we have we are lucky enough to have uh, um, most of the rehearsing of the songs uh, recorded because every time they open their mouth, uh, Jeff Emerick uh, switched the button on and recorded that, so we can uh, hear all the step by step, you know, evolving of the songs. And uh, sometimes you hear the first take and the last take, and you can't really understand how, in a few minutes, they got to this sophisticated. Uh, vocal line that we hear on the record why probably two hours before they were messing up with it you know i can't really explain that i think that the mystery is is, is that they 
they were good at uh, at uh, understanding all these details because they sang in a while, they heard them. And then when somebody very good like George Martin told them, do this here, do this here, they were really smart and imitating catching it, you know? No, absolutely. They were kind of like sponges. They'd suck this stuff in, absorb it, and then go further with yeah. it every time instead of sticking with the thing or thinking, okay, now we know yeah, how yeah, to yeah. harmonize yeah. like this. It's, it's quite incredible. Yeah, I, I recently recorded, um, uh, you, you know, that, that song uh, from Paul, by Paul Ultima. Uh, Calico Skies, you know that? Yeah, uh, Beautiful, from Flaming Pie. From Flaming Pie. This, I, we recorded, me and my girlfriend, we recorded this song, you know. And uh, she, I played guitar and she sings. And there was a point where I asked her to do something very, very in the Beatles, uh, refining, you know. I don't remember which part it was. And he, she immediately got that because she's very good in this thing. But I know pretty all the other people I know, they would, you know, take two hours to understand what I was saying. So it's just a matter of having a very good year, very a huge talent and, and a lot of the information that you absorbed before. So when somebody asks you to do something very like, uh, three notes in which instead of like risato, you immediately understand and you, and you do that. It's kind of a mystery, but probably it's in this range of possibility, you know, what happened. What kind of difference has having this YouTube channel made to your life? You've got this day job where you, you, you care for and craft guitars and you teach people the craft of guitars and, and music generally. Is the channel something that lives off to one side or has it become central in your life? It's a job of, of, of itself to keep you know alive, to keep it uh, going on. And uh, especially today that you... The, the the quality of the the YouTube videos has grown to the level of TV. Also, you have to um, post videos frequently. You have to follow some kind of marketing, you know, strategy. Call it call it like this. Okay, it's not you know, it's not like running a company, but <laughs> but anyway, you have to. Yes, it's kind of a it's kind of a job. And what has it given you? Basically, it gives me an excuse to think about the Beatles every day. <laughs> Every single hour. This is what it is. You were doing that <laughs> which anyway. Is, which is, which is, which, is, which is what I would like to do the whole day, you know? So this is kind of, yes, maybe you got it that. Yeah. It is an excuse for me to think about the Beatles every day and have, yeah. a, and have an excuse, you know, ah, it's my job. I have yeah. to think about the Beatles. Okay. It's the same with doing this radio show at the moment. It means I get to have conversations <laughs> with my wife about the Beatles when usually she just rolls her eyes and says, can we not just talk about something else? I've asked you to pick a song. What, um, what song have you chosen and why? Uh, Ticket to Ride. And why Ticket to Ride? The ticket to ride because it's is a is a is a perfect song. It's a perfect song. Um, John is singing one of his best performances, and then ticket to ride is curious because there are no chords on, in the ticket to ride. There are only single notes going on, so the whole groove that you are hearing is generated by no chords, just single notes, and that's that's what you know amaze me every every time i hear that it starts and you hear a wall of sound you know striking you and uh, and it's just one note going on for every instrument you know it's it's weird it's incredible 
and uh, it's uh, my stores, it's majestic, and it's also pop, and it's also it was a metal of the, of the time, you know. That's, that's I, what John Lennon said. He said it was the first heavy heavy metal record. But I'd never thought of that yeah. chord chord <laughs> thing before. That's really uh, yeah, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's been driven a lot by the the drums that record, and I guess the bass as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this this drum feel has been copied by everyone in the last forty years. You know, <clears throat> it's it's a perfect song. It's it's a totally original and totally melodic. It's totally unusually arranged, but it's totally perfect sounding. It's got the best John and also the, the, the best, uh, you know, um, joining pole, matching pole. And the, 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 the 12 strings guitar with that sound, the specific stringing. And uh, there are a, a huge quantity of things. This song, and then you have a bass doom, 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 and the John Lennon guitar, and Harrison, it's just one note going on, but it seems like a, a full orchestra. It's just because the, the Beatles songs were arranged in a marvelous way by an orchestra director. Well, we'll play that in a second. Before that, I'm going to ask you some quick Beatles questions, some quick fire questions. Okay. okay. The first one. Which Beatle do you think would be best at taking care of his own instrument? George, absolutely. If you could own any Beatles instrument, if money was no object and you got to own one of those, which one would you most like to own? I would be very indeciso. Uh, Undecided between uh, Paul's Hofner. And John, uh, three twenty-five, Eric and Baker, the one that you tried to build at the beginning of your career. Yes, because I recently built. Uh, let me show this to you. I recently built myself um, a copy of the of the Hofner. Oh wow! Base. Galeazzo, show me this this copy. I mean, that looks incredible. Wow! Yes, which I did uh, a bit a bit shorter because I'm I'm. Shorter than, than Paul, so I, <laughs> I did it a, a bit shorter you know, and left handed. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm learning to play left hand. And yeah, <laughs> yes, I was talking bad about Beatles geeks, but I'm more crazy than anyone. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a very controversial question now. Mm -hmm. Who is singing the R's after the middle bit of a day in the life? Paul. You feel confident about that? Yes. It is one of the most fiercely contested questions in the whole yes, of Beatle fandom. There are some. Yeah, yeah, there are some. Who was the best dressed Beatle? Ringo. Who is your favourite person in the Beatles story who isn't one of the Beatles? George Martin. The song All My Loving, do you prefer it, the studio version with Paul singing along with himself on the harmonies or George singing it live? Uh, no, I prefer. The, I, I, in any case, I prefer the the record every time. Not not because because the the live are not good, absolutely. Just because they they feed me with a lot of things to discover. Can you watch the film Magical Mystery Tour without just fast forwarding through to the songs? I don't think I ever <laughs> saw this one till the end. There's a nice thing if you want to 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 know something um, not previously. Uh, no, there's a there's a bit of the um, underworld's um, clip. 
If you watch it carefully, you can see Paul uh, indicating to Ringo where the drum starts. You can see Ringo starting in the wrong in the wrong place, and and he watching him and saying, "Damn, like this <laughs> when you have to start." And then he does that, and Ringo ta da ta da. I can look for that. That's great. Would the song "Oh Darling" have been better if Paul had asked John to sing lead vocals on it? No, no, I don't. In know. fact, it's one of most uh, renowned and uh, and uh, famous Paul's performances. Yeah, I think I think it's an incredible vocal, but I think you know John said in interviews that he wished Paul had let him I sing. It. Yes, I, I I I heard that a lot. Ali, I wrote, I read that a lot of time, but I don't know what he was thinking when he said that. Paul' performance there is huge. His voice is I I can't understand how he can go on stage night after night and I know, I know that the you know the tuning isn't quite what it was but the fact that he can go and sing a song like Helter Skelter night after night as a nearly eighty year old man it doesn't make sense to me if I go one night to karaoke I can't speak for a week <laughs> me too it's, me too it's unbelievable too. Um, I don't know if you if you go to any any to you know any concert of any gig of any famous um, singer and no matter how long he, he, he's singing two hours, one hour, two hours two hours, a half, three hours, they always cut some of the highs, you know Paul adds highs where they are not there, you know <laughs> it's incredible I remember, I remember uh, I'm, I'm one of the lucky people who saw um, uh, the show at the Coliseum, in Rome Coliseum, in Rome it was three hours of uh, more peaks than there are on the original record when it was 20. You know? yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Final question. We've got the Get Back film coming out later this year. Oh my God. I, 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 I look forward to seeing this one. So what, what do you hope that we get to see in that film? Uh, a lot of fun. I'm sure that when they got together, they always had fun. I'm sure. I'm sure about that. Yeah, so it's it's such a joy to talk to you. I, I think your videos, I, I just think they do such a brilliant job of, you know, you can never really unpick what's the magic ingredients of the Beatles music, but it goes some way towards doing that, your channel. Before I play Ticket to Ride and before you are drowned out by the orchestra from A Day in the Life, explain to me... Why are we still talking about the Beatles in 2021? What is special about them? What is different about them and their music and their story? You want always more of them, and uh, and they are very, very well crafted. If you are in a, in a in a crowd and there is a radio on the in the background, you hear the Beatles, you hear the the, the music, you hear the. the... Um... 